1: Margarito Flores Jr. was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, but his childhood was far from normal. By the time he and his twin brother were eight years old, their father had introduced them to the world of drug trafficking. They continued the family business into adulthood, becoming the biggest drug kingpins in the city. However, the law eventually caught up with them, and the brothers fled to Mexico and got involved with the Sinaloa cartel. Growing up, they'd looked up to the group, which at the time was led by Mexican drug lord El Chapo. But during a Viewpoints Radio exclusive interview, Flores says the reality of working within the cartel wasn't all that glamorous.
2: Once we were doing business with them and once we kind of found out like what it really was, like the whole cartel as a whole and what it was doing to our families. You know, my brother had uh, been kidnapped twice before. My father had been kidnapped and so much suffering that came with it. I think that it was maturity. It was us just wanting something better for our children and for our future.
1: Flores always knew that his line of work put his own life in danger, but he assumed his family was safe. This all changed the moment he saw someone put a gun to his wife's head. After that incident, he started to doubt whether he could lead the same life.
2: My brother and I were able to live in the drug trafficking world or do business in it without changing who we were. We kept it strictly business and we were able to survive that way for a long time. But in the position I was in, I felt like it was only gonna make us make decisions and we were gonna become something we were not. So that means mean more being violent or you know having to be involved in taking someone's life. And I think that we always said that we had to like, stand up for who we were. And I, and I felt like now we were going to be in a position that I was going to be like everyone else. And that didn't sit
1: well with me. This internal conflict all came to a head one morning when Flores woke up, turned to his wife, and said he was switching sides. he decided to become an informant in return for a reduced prison sentence.
2: I remember my brother and I talking about, like, we risked our life to do wrong each and every day. You know, why not risk our life to do something good for our family? And it was just to be able to be a father, to have the chance that I'm able to have today where I'm able to be a father and a husband and do the simple things in life like take your kids to school, you know? something I never got a chance to do.
1: The deal with the police required Flores and his brother to stay in the Sinaloa cartel as undercover informants for a period of time. For Flores, it was a high-stress situation because he was now working against the industry he'd been in since he was a child. I was raised by a
2: very strong opinionated man who was totally against working with the police. My father was in prison because of an informant and he blamed the informant for his suffering. And it was something I actually thought about. Of course, over the years on being in drug trafficking, there was plenty of informants who were cooperating against us and I always looked at it it as part of business.
1: Flores says that for people like him who want to leave the drug trade, becoming an informant is the last resort. There's definite risk, but informants help keep some of the most dangerous criminals behind bars.
2: You see it all the time, especially in situations like mine where looked at as probably the scum of society or whatever the case may be. But it's needed. I think cooperators, informers are is needed because if you look at even the CHAPA trial, if it wasn't for informers or cooperatives like myself and others, you know, you wouldn't have a case against one of the biggest drug lords or one of the most deadly drug cartels like the Cinalo Cartel.
1: Both Flores and his brother were key in the case against El Chapo and recently finished serving their 14-year prison sentence. Now, Flores is once again teaming up with investigators. This time, it's a law enforcement training company called Dynamic Police Training. Sergeant Ryan Wasson oversees special investigations for Kane County in Illinois and hopes this inside information will help officers catch more criminals who are transporting and distributing drugs. Wasson says that finding the narcotics is usually the first step, but it's no easy task.
0: A lot of people, I think, think when they watch live PD or cops on TV that it starts and ends with the traffic stop. Or it starts and ends with the location of narcotics. And what they don't understand is that sometimes that case has been two years in the making before it even gets to the traffic stop. So you could have people that work very diligently for two years before they even see some sort of seizure of money or narcotics.
1: But now and then, law enforcement does get lucky. Sometimes cops notice something strange about a car driving on the highway whether it's a rental car with heavily tinted windows or a driver acting odd as they pass by.
0: Most people, even myself being a police officer and have been a police officer for a few years, even when I see another officer on the side of the road doing some sort of traffic enforcement, I get a little bit of that, oh no, was I speeding? Was I going too fast? I better watch my speed. So you get a little bit of that nervous, natural nervousness. But when it gets a little bit weird is if you can see differences in a normal person's reaction to law enforcement and somebody who's really nervous that law enforcement is there, maybe abnormally nervous they're there in the way that they drive their vehicle, the way that they react to us.
1: Once the car is pulled over, the search begins. Unlike in the movies, most of the time the drugs aren't neatly piled in a duffel bag in the trunk. Canine units are often needed to sniff out any narcotics. And usually the drugs are stowed away in hidden compartments.
0: We trust our dogs. And so if our dog indicates we know that something's there, we just may not be able to find it. So what they'll do, they can change vehicles in a number of different ways and they get very clever. But a lot of the things that we deal with, and I'm sure you've heard of, are compartments. They'll make false compartments that they'll make in the vehicle. Now, a lot of times those compartments might be a factory compartment.
1: Drug traffickers are always thinking of new ways to hide their products. So it's a constantly changing game. Wasson hopes that Flores will help provide some insight into the minds of these criminals. While this could be a great opportunity, he notes that there's always a small chance that informants won't be completely honest. I've
0: been in this job long enough. I've worked with informants for a really long time. Sources, and you don't always get accurate information. Sometimes you have to vet that information. And I think as most of the investigators that will be there are going to be seasoned enough to realize that they need to not just take everything he says a hundred percent, but go and do some vetting. I don't necessarily know that he has any reason to lie to us at this point, given his background and everything that he's been involved in. I don't know how that would benefit him. So I kind of look at that as well. What's his motivation to come help us right now? And I think his motivation at this point is a decent motivation, but at the same time, as investigators, we have to do our jobs and vet the information that comes to us.
1: Regardless, Wasson says that both police and society have to be careful not to romanticize these once criminals.
0: I'm a huge believer in second chances. I believe that as humans, we all make mistakes and some of those mistakes are more severe than others. But I'm a huge believer in giving that person a second chance to kind of make amends for the mistakes that they've made. That being said, I also believe that there are some people that will continually manipulate the system if we allow them to. Unfortunately, sometimes society glamorizes people that have made a life of victimizing other people. And I, being in law enforcement, I have to have a problem with that. I don't want to glamorize somebody who has victimized thousands, hundreds, or even a couple people.
1: Wasson has been burned by a source before. Years ago, when he worked in California, he started talking to a member of the Mexican Mafia after he'd been sentenced to prison. At first, he was helpful. But as time went on he began to play both sides of the law.
0: What he was doing is when investigators would bring him information and ask him to help decode it or bring meaning to it, he had access to the internet and was posting that information on private blogs. So the biggest issue with that was, obviously we have intel coming in that needs to be extremely confidential and is coming through him as a trusted source. And he was putting it out to the very individuals we were trying to keep it from
1: which is why Wasson says any information needs to be vetted. Still, he hopes that Flores will not only be able to give them actionable information now, but continue to work with law enforcement to help train future generations of investigators. And while the issue of safety will always be top of mind for Flores, he says the risk is worth it.
2: I feel like either I could, you know, crawl under a rock or try to hide somewhere, but... I feel like I have too much to give. I have a whole life ahead of me, and I don't want to leave my legacy to be that of a drug trafficker. I feel like I was put here for a reason, and I feel like this could be my calling, to be able to help law enforcement and share my experiences and share everything I've been through and hopefully make a difference on the war on drugs.
1: You can find more information about Margarito Flores Jr., Sergeant Ryan Wasson, and all of our guests on our website, viewpointsradio.org. For more behind-the-scenes, follow Viewpoints Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our writer-producer this week is Kristen Farah. Our executive producer is Amira Zaveri. Our studio manager is Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Coming up next week... I don't think Threads is
0: done yet. I think they really want to go after people that are using Twitter or X.
1: Will Threads, the new concept by Meta, sink or swim then? Right now I'm working with a lot of recent college graduates who are having a really tough time having those informational interviews for jobs because the idea of meeting someone new and trying to have a conversation with them seems like a boulder. The life skills young people are lacking I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. And that's Viewpoints for this week.